Welcome to Hogtown Hangs, a podcast from the Hogtown Brass Quintet. I'm your host, Jay Austin, and today is the first episode of the podcast without a co-host, as Tristan is off celebrating his fifth wedding anniversary. Congratulations. With the last few episodes focusing on educators, and since we're in the countdown to the end of the school year, we at the Hogtown Brass would like to congratulate the graduating class of 2021. Both from high school and post-secondary, congratulations. This week's guest is violinist, tenor, and educator, Larry Beckwith. We've just had an incredible chat, Larry and I. Uh, We chatted about his incredibly diverse career, running an orchestra through a pandemic, being ready to say yes to opportunities, the value of singing, and how choral singing isn't that different than playing in a string section for a, a huge Mahler symphony. Really appreciate Larry's time, and as we discuss at great length, we've known each other for five or six years, and this is probably the longest we've talked. But that being said, it was a great conversation, and I really appreciate Larry's time on this beautiful and sunny Friday afternoon. I'm pleased at this time to welcome Larry Beckwith. Welcome, Larry. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Larry, we've known each other, I think it's about five years, but I think we only see each other twice a year, give or take. Um, (laughs) and it's been so nice, uh, with Moordale continuing to do distanced videos, especially I I would assume primarily for the students of the orchestra as well, for the sort of the, the fruits of the labor to, to still get that payoff at the end. Um, but before we get there, I kind of wanted to start with you, you seemingly personify the, the portfolio career that we all you know, as freelancers, it's either it's either a choice or it's thrust upon us uh, as a, a means to uh, living indoors and eating food. Um, but with your work with Jean, uh, Jean Lamont and your singing career, which I didn't know about until I was researching for this interview, so I can't wait to ask you some questions there, <laughs> and running productions for Toronto Operetta Theatre and radio production and sound designing and festival program, I mean, you've, and then all culminating with your work with Moordale Youth Orchestra and, and being a, a string teacher at Unionville High School, I mean, did I have to start? I guess with something that again I didn't know until I was researching that you are you're the son of one of Canada's biggest composers, and so growing up in a house that was John Beckwith, I should say, and growing up in a house where you were surrounded by music and and surrounded by influence. I mean, did that influence? this wide array of experience that, that you've, you've accumulated over the course of your career? Well, I don't know whether the house did, but, but he certainly did. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, I always say he's my, continues to be my biggest influence. And, um, and I mean, you refer to him as a composer and I suppose that's how he will be remembered. Uh, but he has had, uh, a, an extremely varied career as well. I mean, and done everything at such a high level. I mean, such a he's a he's a remarkable composer. He's an incredible musicologist. He's written several books. Um, he's a meticulous researcher. He was a great teacher uh, at the university, and uh, I mean, like a high level teacher. You know, his courses right. were extremely well organized and and uh, and delivered. And he was a great administrator. Two people remember him as a as an excellent dean at the at the faculty. I'm probably leaving. Well, and of course he was a pianist as well, and he has been a pianist all his life. So so yes, I mean that's a long winded answer, but 
his his um, his sort of complete immersion in the world of music was a great model. And uh, and from a very early age, I just loved tagging along with him and kind of seeing what he did and meeting the people that he worked with and mm-hmm. and experiencing the projects that he that he worked on. That's that's so incredible. I mean, I think I mean, looking at the portfolio that you've built too. I mean, it, it speaks to sort of the the immersion, the skill set that we've all had to look at over the last 15 months or so that you are almost a pioneer in that in that way of, uh, you know, we've all learned, I, we like to joke on the show here, like, we've invested more in microphones and more in recording stations and re- and in just gear to right. to replicate what we sound like live. And, and this is a skill that that you um, probably it probably came very naturally, or at least a little more naturally, maybe that, uh, you know, when it was thrust upon us uh, right. a little more than a year ago. Um, how many of these experiences, though, did you set out to to have or 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 to flip that on its head? Were they opportunities that were sort of presented to you and 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 you jumped at them? Uh, yeah, I don't. I nothing that I have done. I have to admit, I I have. I'm not a very good planner at all. I did not set out to have any particular kind of career. I did set out to have a career in music. I knew I loved it. And that was based on, you know, a very deep love and possibly, you know, the fact that I couldn't see myself doing anything else either had no other marketable skills as a number of musicians are, are fond of saying. And, um, uh, so, but I think my experience has been one thing has led to another and I've always been curious and open to new experiences. And, and also have had a good degree, uh, and I think it's important to admit this, a, a good degree of failure or, you know, adversity, uh, which leads to having to change your, you know, to look at the compass and, and make adjustments, right, through, right, right. through the... Um, through the career, and I, I, I even hesitate to call it a career. It, it, in a way, it's it's. I do like to refer to it as a life in music, and um, and and just sort of taking advantage of opportunities when they come and connections. You know, we mm-hmm. always talk about making connections in in music, and and connections are often the same thing as friendships. So a lot of my projects have have been um, fueled by alliances and friendships and discussion you know late night discussions wouldn't it be great if we could if we could do this or or wouldn't it be uh how amazing would it be if we could produce that or something and then (laughs) you know and then trying to and then getting a little more comfortable with with navigating what's uh necessary you know what what the tools what the necessary tools are to to achieve these things yeah, it reminds a lot of a lot of doing the research to to sort of get ready to to chat with you today. It reminded me of a chance encounter I happen to have with Sam Palafian, the the tuba player who has unfortunately passed. Right, Sam had this gift of not only being able to instantly diagnose what you needed to get better at, but who would help you get better at it. Right, yeah, right, and and so I I had the fortune of working with Sam. Uh, he produced um, a recording I did in grad school with the wind symphony and and so every morning he would run breathing gym sessions or he'd run warm-up sessions for the brass players on heavy playing days or 
And, and he pulled me aside and he said, you know, you've got good ears. Have you ever thought about being in production? And I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't want to do that. I want to play horn. I want to play horn. Right. And fast forward to last summer when the Sun Valley Symphony is recording all of their concerts um, remotely. Mm-hmm. And I got a call to produce those sessions because I knew how to read music and because I lived in Hamilton and because like everything, like you're saying, you know, good relationships and good fortune. Yeah. And I didn't really know what I was in for. Except I was going to sit in the room and and watch the scores go by, and I got to tell some of my former pers- uh, professors, you know, I was like, I think you're a little flat there. We're gonna try this. Have you played? You know, and it was this great thing, but it all came um, almost as an accidental skill set, and right. and then you know you build on that, and you build on that, and and it's it's so fantastic um, when when these things line up, and uh, it was it was so so much fun reading. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm gonna keep. Let's keep going. I mean, because I, I there's there's some really cool stuff we're gonna get to. Um, and speaking of which, I had no idea that you were a, also a vocalist. I've worked with you as a conductor, and yeah. I think we may have shared the stage once or twice uh, with you as a violinist and yeah. me on horn. Um, but you you you're a, an amazing tenor as well, which I I had no idea. So I how did that? How did you get started? in the world of, of, of singing? Like how did, was that an accident as well or? Um, it was an invitation actually, but it was an invitation that came at exactly the right time. Mm. Uh, I mean, so I'm a trained violinist and violin was my first instrument. And, um, and I went through, unfortunately, I, I, I went through, um, or I should say, I, unfortunately I didn't sing as a kid. And, and I didn't really, I wasn't pushed in that area. And um, uh, there weren't really all that many opportunities for kids actually to sing when I was, when I was little. So it wasn't until I was in, at the end of first year university at U of T uh, and everything had come easy to me by that point, I found with, with playing the violin, I was a, I was a kind of natural musician and good sight reader and so by that point, I feel like I had developed some kind of lazy habits mm. that um, that were affecting my technique and also motivation issues around practicing. Uh, and you realize you get to university. I mean, those are the times you have to be as a as a string player. You've got to be putting in hours, hours and hours yeah. to be um, not only not only improving yourself, but also keeping up with your peers. That's right. And, um, and I really wasn't doing that kind of work. I think I was kind of resting on whatever laurels I had at that time. I think <laughs> I thought they were larger than they actually were. And so um, I, had a, I had a professor in university named William Wright, who was my keyboard harmony teacher. And at the end of the first year, I enjoyed that course with him. And he... Um, we had talked quite a bit about uh, music, had lots of wonderful conversations about music. And he said, you know, uh, every string player should learn how to sing. And mm-hmm. uh, and I'll come back to to the a sort of revelation I had about that years later. But um, uh, so he invited me to sing in his church choir at Deer, Deer Park United Church, which was an excellent choir. And I went, I really hadn't, done much singing at all. And I went and um, loved the experience and loved learning uh, sacred repertoire. Uh, And I basically sang in that choir for the rest of my university time and for a few years after that. Um, 
and you realize uh, when you're a tenor, <laughs> if you're if you're a tenor and if you're musical, then those are two really um, uh, hot commodities in in the choral world, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and possibly also being young as well, you know. I, right. I think that that um, once I learned how to sing. And I never really took lessons, but it, so it was mostly from, from, uh, I had some excellent, you know, I sat next to some really great people and, and, um, and I got a knowledge of the repertoire and everything. And so I really, I think I came to it naturally. And then I just wanted to sing more and more and more. Right. And so, um, uh, and so actually my violin skills kind of plateaued, I would say, and I got, um, but I, but um, Jay, around that time, I just fell in love with with Baroque music, and and um, and as you said, uh, I sort of came into contact with Jean Lamont, and she became a, a sort of mentor and and teacher. Um, but I I didn't really feel like I had the skills to play in the orchestra to play in Tafel music. You know, Tafel music was really on its right. way up at that point. But I did have the skills to sing in the choir. And and so I started, you know, I joined the choir and um, and I started having these amazing, really high level choral experiences, which led to other things, led to singing in Alora, led to singing in the Mendelssohn Choir and just really just, you know, for a while there, I was out three nights a week at rehearsals and doing, Fantastic. you know, 35, 40 concerts a year with these oh various choirs. Um, and then you realize, you know, you can be a section lead in a church choir and you can, you know, you can be a professional. And so I, I did have that experience, I'd say from the late, from the late eighties to, uh, you know, to 2005 or 2006, I really, you know, other things took over after that, but, right, right. Um, and, but the thing that I wanted to say about singing and, you know, the relationship between playing the violin and singing is that theoretically, we don't really have to breathe as string players. And so mm -hmm. um, I hadn't realized this, but I had, um, I think that be when I first started to sing, it helped me so much with, with phrasing and, and right. breathing and the, and the whole notion of breathing as a string player, and breathing together and um, and I guess, you know, we're all as instrumentalists trying to imitate the voice or, or you know, the, yeah. the line when we talk about line and everything. So I do feel that William Wright was was uh, correct when he said that, you know, all string players should sing because it's it it helped me. It I found that it really helped me in a certain uh, in a certain aspect of my playing. The day I took it more seriously is also in my undergrad. And the day I started taking it more seriously, it was sight singing. I'll never forget it. It was with, with Professor Dennis Patrick. And he would always, he'd push his glasses up with his knuckle and he'd say, Jason, you must take this more seriously. <laughs> and I said, well, Professor, could I play my sight reading on my instrument? I promise you it would be better. And he said, no, you need to sing. And it's funny because now I sing through every lesson I teach, right? Yeah. And and that, by and large, I use that, and I tell my students, I mean, there's a limited amount of face time we have in a day. 
Yeah. Right. Your lip only yes. works for so long. And yeah. so if we can figure out tough patterns or rhythms or, or, or even just a bar that's giving us difficulty, if we can figure that out away from the horn, that, that will make everything easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to go back if I could, because you were talking about playing or playing, pardon me, singing with the Tafel Music Choir and Alora and some of the and Mendelssohn being one of the bigger choirs in, in Southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I often as a horn player, I sit at the back of the orchestra and I wonder what it's like to be one of many. Right. When there's 12, 15, 18 uh, violins in an orchestra. Yep. And then I look behind me when we get to play these big Mahler symphonies and there's 25, 30 of one voice. I mean. How does singing in a choir compare to being a member of a big string section for a big Mahler symphony? I think there is a similarity that that you're you're carried along. Uh, I mean, I mean, the 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 uh, effect, I guess, that we're all seeking as musicians is that feeling of being able to fly, uh, and and there's no better feeling than that. You know, when we're in the middle of a mm-hmm. piece of music. And we are airborne, and um, and so I think the bigger the ensemble and the bigger the section, uh, you're provided that there is a level of skill within the, <laughs> the section. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit different when everybody's working at cross purposes. Mm-hmm. But if you've mm-hmm. got a, you know, if there's a uniformity there and you've worked out what it is you want to do. Um, it's tremendously powerful, and and also you can you 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 have that um, effect of being inside the head or, or the imagination of the of the composer as well, and right. you get to certain because it's 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 happening in real time, and you get to certain points in the piece that are transformative. Yep. Um, and yes, you're working, uh, but you're you can also experience that kind of, I don't know. It's, there are no words for it. It's, it's a, it's, it's a great it's a thing. feeling, you know, yeah. I, I, I'll never forget the first time I heard the Chicago symphony. It was they yeah. were playing Mahler's first symphony. And when the first movement finally hits that big moment where everyone is playing together and, and the strings aren't on harmonics and, you know, all eight horns and all four trumpets are on stage and everything's happening. And I had, not just pins and needles, but like all the hairs on my arms were standing up. And I actually, my wife had to say, like, you haven't breathed in a couple of minutes. <laughs> right. And it, it's, it's this un- unbelievable feeling. And it's, it's, I mean, I, I, I won't keep referencing the last year in a bit, but it's, it's what's missing, right? We've yeah. done these distanced recordings. We we've all been trying to keep our skills up, but I think, I think I I'm, I'm prepared for it to be a really emotional experience the first time that whether it's the Hogtown Brass or I'm playing with the Moordale Youth Orchestra or anything in between that, <laughs> yeah. that it's, you know, there's going to be harmony. There's going to be uh, playing second to somebody else or pl- trying to match the sec- the bassoons mm-hmm. or, you know, following the concertmaster, all these things that we, we, it's, it's amazing. We take it for granted. We absolutely don't think about these things. And then all of a sudden there's just a click in your ear. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and that, I know that it's, it's, it's like a different language. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's funny because it's, you're you're trying to imitate. You know what that feeling is, so what? So you're trying to imitate it from the isolation of your own room. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it's it's the delayed gratification is really great too, in a way, where <laughs> you know you submit the recordings and then you wait and yes. and yeah and you wait and you hope and 
and you know and and we're fortunate that there are tools to fix a note if you're a little out of tune or or if you know mm -hmm. if you need to just shift it by a beat but yep. it's it's not quite it doesn't feel quite the same as when you walk off stage and you know and you you know you you fist bump your colleagues or whatever and yeah. it just it's I, I i'm sure i'm not speaking out of turn when i say i cannot wait uh, yeah. to get back to that that's that's going to be a great day yeah um, it's uh, uh yeah i don't know what i'm waiting for more the the sort of the rehearsals or the concerts um or that great feeling you know that first sip of beer after <laughs> you know after the concert just after you've kind of cheered cheers to everybody and um yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it all that's you couldn't have put it better um <laughs> now larry you also spent seven years in radio at the cbc um so, I, I mean, first off, how did that opportunity arise? But did you, were you doing both, uh, were you on air and producing or were you mainly in the production booth? I was mainly in the production booth and, um, uh, and the opportunity arose from uh, a careers night, actually, that the, uh, I was in grad school at U of T doing a musicology master's and the, um, the, area head of music from CBC radio came to one of these careers nights and talked to us about, um, basically they were recruiting in a way. And if you can believe it, they were looking for, uh, music knowledge over technical skill. <laughs> so yeah. it was really, you know, at that point it was kind of, I refer to it as sort of the end of the golden age of radio at CBC where they had tons of classical music, uh, shows and they were really well researched and well programmed and involved a lot of live recording and um, and and packaging after the fact and so I got my foot in the door and and uh, I always tell students that you know I started in the proverbial mail room because I got a you know I kept bugging and this was after about nine or ten months of bugging the the, um, the, the contact there who kept saying, you know, oh, you know, we don't have any openings now, but keep calling back and everything. So I did keep right. calling back and I got a, a job um, in uh, basically just transferring old reel-to-reel uh, -reel tape from one um, mode to another and, and sending them off to the right department. And then, oh, uh, yeah, and then five or six weeks later, you know, an opening came up in the music department and I was suddenly programming, uh, you know, for every night for arts national, which was the, the, uh, kind of flagship show back then. And then I got lots of experience on, uh, on various different shows in, in over so those seven years. So it was fun. Yeah. Mostly as a production assistant and then an associate producer, and then toward the end as a, as a producer. And so what are the, what are the responsibilities of a producer on a radio show? Um, there is, it depends on how large the radio show is <laughs> and there aren't very many large ones anymore. Right. So now my, my understanding now is that, you know, a producer does basically everything mm -hmm. and, uh, and including sometimes hosting. Uh, right. but you know, when I was there, there was a, each, each, um, show had a, a team and depending on the frequency of the show whether it was a daily show or a weekly show you had you know you had a, had various tasks to do whether it was sourcing interviews or 
we did a lot of editing of quarter inch tape back then. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was just before <laughs> digital. And uh, so I was kind of, in, actually it was a really interesting time to work at CBC because I started in the old radio building on Jarvis, just mm -hmm. north of Carleton. Mm -hmm. And then um, a couple of years in, they moved to the, and they were in, CBC was in 23 different locations in Toronto. Oh my and, <laughs> and then they had this, this uh, you know, they commissioned the building of the broadcasting center in, uh, down on Front Street and the Glenn Gould studio and everything. So I kind of moved in with them in 92, I guess it was. And then I had another five years, but the problem, um, you know, this kind of downside was that we were, we were experiencing cuts every single year, basically. Right. And, uh, and I managed to avoid them up until 1997. And then I was a victim of the, of the cuts. And I could have, I think I could have stayed around and done some freelance stuff and trying to wait it until things got better, but I didn't really, I had, by that point, I feel, I used to say, I feel like everybody should have the experience of working at the CBC for seven years and then, <laughs> you know, and then move on. Cause there were some lifers there that, that I thought, oh, I don't want to turn into somebody that's, you know, been there for 35 years. And I remember running into a, a kind soul. Uh, well, they, they became a kind soul after at first being one of the rougher, <laughs> rougher people I'd run into it. I was delivering some CDs for distribution to various CBC locations across Canada. Yeah. And uh, because I didn't uh, speak the same language, there was a bit of a tongue lashing and, and oh. the, the gristle and grit and then, you know, kill them with kindness. But uh, right. I, I know exactly what <laughs> I, I can at least imagine the voice, uh, you know, it's mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so before we move, I mean, I'm sure you learned tons of lessons over that seven years at the CBC. I mean, are there any do any of the lessons that you learned there impact your teaching or your, your approach to your music career today? Um, well, I think, I think that I learned how to be project based. So I learned how to see a project through from the, from its conception to its, to its end, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is definitely something that I, uh, that I do feel that I'm good at and that I learned at the CBC. Um, and, uh, and there were also some, and also programming, I think, right. you know, how to put, how does one piece of music work next to another and mm -hmm. how much, how much um, contrast and how much similarity is, uh, you know, is kind of work works and is necessary. Yeah. Um, so I would say those were the two things. I, there were also I made um, because it's a national organization. I also made getting back to making contacts and making friends. I made so many friends and connections at that time. And um, you know, we used to get sent out with a with a uh, technician to record concerts, and sometimes not just in Toronto, but in other areas in mostly in Ontario, sometimes further afield, but those were great too, because you really, you know, you went into the community and you went to the rehearsals and you set your gear up and talked to the artists and, and really yeah. felt part of the, uh, and wanted to present them in the best possible way. So that involved having great conversations about their intentions 
and their approaches and um uh and then i it also gave me a great respect and admiration for what performers go through when they're preparing a performance um and the added stress of having it recorded right <laughs> for broadcast <laughs> right so um it also i guess it evolved I, in you know i i developed if i didn't have it already i developed a certain empathy and uh and a language of how to how to communicate when we're all nervous and a little, a little bit stressed you know and how to yeah, how to yeah. make sure that things have a positive outcome I, I mean i referenced sam earlier and sam was a master at that you know mm -hmm. he he knew it, it's like it was this this sense that he had when to call for a break yeah. when to move on and come back he the 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 few times i got to work with him you know and him being in the back booth um, were some of the most seamless recordings. He, he I, I think he said to another colleague of mine, the job of a producer is is really to make sure no one fights in the room, <laughs> to keep right. the peace, because yeah. when, when all the chips get on the table and everyone knows that there's only a certain amount of time to get something, yeah. um, it's important to know why you're doing something again. And, yeah. um, and he was such a master at, at that. And I mean, I try now when I'm given the opportunity, that's something I try to, to hold on to as well. Um, it's, it's important to know how to manage that time. Uh, it is. And, and, oh, it certainly is. Yeah. <laughs> and know what you've got when you've got it too. Yes. Um, it's, yes. it's, uh, the best notes I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. So, um, so I mean, currently, I mean, outside, as I mentioned earlier, you're the, the, the strings teacher at Unionville high school. But uh, I know you best as the music director of the Moordale Youth Orchestra, and that's a that that's an orchestra I've I've been playing with. I was trying to count back the years before I got on the the recording today, and I I don't know how many years it's been. It's been a long time. Um, when did you you took over that role from from William Rosen? Um, I did. When, when was that? When did that happen? You know, I should know the year. I think it it was at least six years ago. It was probably around six years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what would that it's, be? 20, 2015, something like that. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all a big blur to me. I mean, it's it's an organization that it was an afterthought at first yeah. to me, right? Um, I yes. got these phone calls and the, I was always home from school. You know, the concert, the second concert of the year is always in June. And yeah. so U of T has packed up and I'd be back home in Barry, sitting in my parents' basement looking for a job <laughs> and I'd get a phone call. And it was always to play, I call them the scary classical symphonies. You know, yeah. it'd be these Haydn and Mozart symphonies and they'd all have these screamer horn parts. Yeah. Right. And like you, if you got asked to play Beethoven 7, you thought, okay, that's at least in a reasonable you know range and you're yeah. still playing at the top of your range but i think the first time i played it was a haydn symphony that i had to try to borrow a descant horn to even have a sporting chance at hitting some mm -hmm. of the notes um but i i got to play under i mean christine bogio who was the founder and and anton qwerty who's still the the director em emeritus yes if I'm not mistaken yeah yeah uh, and then his son julian and then of course bill and yourself um i mean taking over from sort of in that lineage um what were you asked to kind of keep and what were you or were you asked to change anything no and i think initially there was a there was a hope that i wouldn't change anything 
you know, that it, it has been, as you say, it's been a, a wonderful tradition. And, um, and I think it very much stems, I mean, it's Christine's orchestra in a sense, and her vision. Um, and, um, and Anton, you know, and Anton's taste in repertoire, which, which tends to the Viennese, you know, the first Viennese school classics. Yep. Um, and um, so, uh, to be honest, Jay, I wasn't really asked to do, you know, it was kind of given, I was given somewhat free reign uh, on the understanding that I kind of knew how things operated and um and that it is a it's it's a kind of well-oiled machine as an organization right and so there was an understanding that you know one would would take that gift and and uh try not to screw it up yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know well, i should i should also mention i mean uh, I, I take for granted that i you and i know exactly what the mordale youth orchestra is but for anyone yeah. that doesn't i mean it, it's i see it as this really unique um, this really unique type of program where you have there's three orchestras, and yeah. so uh, ch kids can start as young as five or six, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, yeah, six six is usually the the optimum age, but sometimes right. there are five year olds. Yeah, and then they move up through the ranks. Essentially, there's a junior orchestra, an intermediate, and then the senior orchestra. Intermediate and a senior, and there aren't necessarily ages, you know, hard and fast ages connected to those orchestras because some people come to playing a little bit later. And so there are older students in the junior orchestra just because they haven't had experience um, and and vice versa. Sometimes if there are young hotshots that are really, you know, <laughs> ready to move up, then yeah. then we don't necessarily uh, connect it to age. Right. Um, it reminds but, me a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, it no, reminds just, me a lot of. Uh, when we we went on tour back in early 2019 and we did some work with the Sistema program out in, in New Brunswick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I remember uh, Tony out there was talking about how they've created almost like an athletic atmosphere around their orchestras where mm -hmm. if you if you're excelling, you can move up to the next level. And it's the whole program out there is connected with the New, uh, New Brunswick youth orchestras. And, and, and there's five or six levels there, too. And, and so the kids, they take a ton of pride in what they're doing, but they also, they want to win. Like they want to, yes. <laughs> you know, when, yeah. when the seats yeah. come or when the seating chart comes out for, for the senior orchestra out there, like the kids are, are, you know, clamoring around like they would if they were, you know, the whole oh, yes. tryout uh, yeah. list was posted. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's very cool to see. I, I, I believe in competition. Uh, I mean, I came up through the world of sport and I, I know mm -hmm. I try a lot harder when there's, when there's you know when there's stakes there yeah. um yeah. and and it's 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 a really it's a really cool program to have been affiliated with for such a long time because uh i mean the the one constant that i've noticed is that the members of toronto's fine institutions the toronto symphony the canadian opera company the national ballet their kids are in this orchestra all the time yeah. right and it it's it, it goes in cycles, right? But I remember years ago. I mean, Joaquin, the principal clarinet in the TSO, his kids were there, and yeah. then you know, fast forward a bunch of years, and Neil Deland's kids are there, and and mm -hmm. Nikki Alexander's kids are there, and and uh, Jonathan Crow's kids are there, and yes, and they all, and, yeah, and it's cool for us. We sit in the back row, and we get to sit there and be like, oh, well, there's there's that guy, and there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? But it's 
it speaks to the quality of the program, which is is just it's such a, a top notch program. So I really I wanted to make sure that anyone listening that didn't know if you've got kids that really you know it's some of the best instruction I think that is going in in the city. So kudos and 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 Thank congrats. You. Thank you. Um, and I mean we've referenced it a few times, but like the rest of the world, the last couple, the last year or so has has proven uh, very challenging and provided us with uh, with growth opportunities, I'll call them, to um, figure out ways to keep our programs going, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and like I said to you earlier, the Hogtown Brass, we couldn't perform. Uh, we haven't been able to even rehearse, really. Yeah. Uh, so we started a podcast. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, Moordale Youth Orchestra just kept chugging. Um, what what were the initial challenges of moving your entire orchestra program online? Uh, well, I, I think the challenge and the goal has been to keep the community together. So you have you um, you have described it so beautifully and thank you for doing so uh, as being such a special organization and the families are really, special and they're very supportive and it is a community and i think as with so many things in the pandemic um there is a fear of losing that that community uh so i think that (laughs) you know i think one of the challenges was to kind of park your sense of standards at the door (laughs) and go okay this is um i mean if uh a friend of mine said early on about online rehearsals, it's like, this is going to be messy, but who cares? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so that was kind of the feeling at the beginning um, to, to try to still make it fun and um, and still, I don't want to say pretend, but still, you know, uh, give lip service to all of those elements of music of good music making that we take for granted so you know um you know a a warm and rich uh tone on a string instrument you know i can talk about these things i can't hear that over zoom (laughs) you know i could see somebody trying and i'm looking and i'm going well it looks like they're really you know making a good sound but i can't really hear it so but but to make sure that you're still talking about that um and so, I mean, that was the challenge, I think, is to, first of all, you know, at, at we asked the question, is it worth it? And very quickly, we said, yes, it absolutely is worth it to, yeah. to do these things. And, um, and then very quickly, we, we realized everybody was having the same conversations. You know, how do I do this? So there was a tremendous amount of, of resource sharing that happened and ideas and everything. And I'm, and, you know, I rail against social media, but uh, you know, kudos to social media around that time, because it's really, it's kept us all together. And, and it's, it's, um, you know, the shout outs and the, and the suggestions, uh, have been really wonderful. Um, so, uh, we had some kind of dwindling attendance and then, and then the attendance came up again when we had our kind of end of year project last year, which was great. Um, one of the challenges was biting off too much, you know, thinking, I mean, we normally do a whole symphony and if the symphony is a little short, I might put an overture in there as well, you know, we'll do two pieces, 
well, we could only do a movement of a symphony. You know, you're yeah. looking at a, an, a, a virtual recording that's seven and a half minutes long. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's a lot of so, time. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so I feel like we got to the end of June and we had a great celebration last year. And then we started this year in person in small cohorts. Okay. Uh, and that worked really well. And in fact, um, believe it or not, it was a little more instructive because you were speaking earlier about singing and or playing in big sections. And that's yep. normally what the kids do. But when they were in groups of nine, you know, I could really hear each of them. And no in some, I... yeah, in some cases there were only, you know, there was only one viola player, for instance, and they were carrying their line. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that was good for the kids too, because they, there was a greater sense of ownership, uh, especially, I don't want to say the weaker, but I, I would say the more inexperienced kids mm -hmm. sometimes tend to hide behind the stronger people in the orchestra. And yeah. when there was nowhere to hide, as you say, it's, um, it was a different kind of experience for them. So I think it was a uh, confidence builder. For sure. And then we had to go back online <laughs> and then we, then we kept thinking, well, maybe we can come back. Um, and so it's been that, that flip-flopping in the end has been the biggest challenge is, you know, yeah. what's, what's coming next and how can I, how can I keep them engaged? Um, earlier this year, we had a couple of, we, we don't, we sometimes invite, um, section, uh, uh guests to lead sectionals. Um, and we, we did one session like that on online, but then I also asked a couple of people to do master classes. So for, for certain weeks, we didn't, you know, we, we didn't have a rehearsal. We just, everybody joined and, and a few people played in master class. Um, I was very happy that the, um, or two thirds of the Griffin trio, Roman and Anna Lee, oh, fantastic. uh, joined one week. And that was a great, you know, it was just sort of another, a refreshing kind of experience for the kids. Oh, that's that's got to be so nice. Um, so, yeah. So that was great. Um, so, I mean, yes, there have been challenges at this point in the year. I'm kind of proud of what we've yeah. uh, of what we've accomplished. And we still have, um, you know, we still have most of the kids engaged. Some of them have dropped away. Right. But um, but as you say, I think those of those of of them who have uh, stuck with it, I think will feel so great when we can all come back. Come back it's, together it's gonna be again. such I, I i i'm i'm a broken record again here but it's, yeah it's just gonna be the greatest day it's, it will be <laughs> no it really will be it really will now be. i mean there are some real there are some you know in the senior orchestra you've got players typically that are going off to university um you know in some cases going into music yeah um what advice have you given those those members over especially the ones going into music you know has has the last year and a bit changed any of the advice that you give when it comes to you know building a music career not really i mean i think that i think that um the lesson that i have learned i mean all of the stuff we've talked about in this interview is that um there is an element of of, uh, you know, you have to be ready when, when opportunity knocks, you know, so mm -hmm. you're, you're in the position now where you're gaining your training. And, um, and so really just take advantage of all the opportunities that are, that are offered to you. Don't worry about, I sometimes feel like kids are, 
maybe there always was an element of uh, of young people that worried too soon about making money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think it's a, a tremendous privilege to be able to go to school and to even if you're racking up a little bit of debt at, yep. <laughs> at that yep. point, you know. Um, uh, so yeah, take it, take advantage of opportunities that are given to you, and and also have confidence that we're going to come out of this um, uh, in a in a better place in a way, you know, because we're going to value what we lost. That's right. And so we're gonna we're gonna be sort of doubly appreciative of all of the opportunities that are offered to us. And I mean, we haven't even gotten into uh, all of the the social conversations that have happened over the last couple of years as well. So I think it's a great time to be a student, um, especially I have a few students who are going to U of T and, you know, you've mentioned that it's an alma mater and and it's my alma mater. And I and of course, my father uh, was the dean there and was connected to U of T for 40 years. Um, and it saddened me to see and to hear the kind of turmoil that they've gone through um, on the one hand. And on another hand, I think it's great that they're having these conversations, messy as, as they are, yep. um, because it's going to be an exciting place to be when when these changes are implemented. Right. I think there's Absolutely. kind of a dawning of a new age. For sure. And, for sure. Um, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't mind being 18 again. And, and sort of entering into this kind of new yeah. age. Because I think great things are going to happen. I think so too. I mean, we, we try, we've, we've tried more in the last year to look for programming that, that is more represent, representative of, of the world we live in as well. Yeah. And, and as recently as 2019, I mean, it was really easy for us to say, well, there's, there's no brass quintets. There just aren't like they, so we're just going to play the same arrangements and we're going to keep going. And, yeah. and, and, and it, um, it, all it took was a little bit of looking, you know, we were saying, well, there's nothing good because we didn't know where to look. Right. Um, and so we're fortunate. I actually just got an email today. We have a commission coming from a composer in the States. Um, uh, his name's Kevin day and, uh, he's won all kinds of awards. And, uh, I mean the, the list of co-commissioners on this thing, like we are in way over our heads with, you know, the New York Philharmonic brass quintet and the Seraph yeah, brass exciting. and, and the U.S. Navy brass quintet, like there's a lot of really cool people on this, but it's yeah. it speaks a lot to to exactly what you're saying. You know, this change, this this movement that we're we're living through, yeah. and um, I'm really happy that we were able to get on board and uh, yeah. and, and be you know and and be a bit of the change that that everyone's yeah. looking for. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, I normally have a co-host, as, as I've explained to you, uh, Tristan. Uh, is usually here with me, and and it breaks up some of the monotony of listening to the same voice uh, asking questions. However, uh, Tristan nearly got himself in some hot water because today is his fifth wedding anniversary, um, ah. and we scheduled a podcast recording. So, um, you know, we'll keep that in mind. Um, but we we have sort of to wrap things up. I like to keep it nice and light and ask what uh, what music, what TV shows, what have you been watching or listening to to sort of get you through. The last little bit, uh, if you had any good recommendations, partly because oh I goodness. think the audience would love to hear and partly because I'm bored with what I've been listening to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, my first recommendation is going to be um, uh, a kind of shout out because another uh, former student from Unionville High School, Jacqueline Tay, 
who's a teacher at U of T in the jazz department and a great jazz singer, wrote four songs on an album that was just that just won a Juno by a, oh, a young jazz musician named Sammy Jackson. Okay. And so I would um, totally recommend that people look look up Sammy Jackson. Uh, I just listened to it the other night. Jacqueline contacted me and and um, gave me this great news. And and it is a fantastic uh, album. So local talent. Um, I um, I've been at school. We've been doing um, uh, sort of we've been pressing pause on listening to the old masters. And so we've, we've done a number of units on blues and jazz and gospel. Uh, so I, I've been listening. Um, I was a reluctant and late subscriber to Spotify, but I, but now mm-hmm. I, I sort of can't get enough of it because it's so easy to, to look up stuff. And yeah. um, so Nina Simone, Mahalia Jackson, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, um, Mercedes Sosa, these, uh, these singers have been in my ears a lot lately and I, I just love their, their singing and I love their stories. Um, and TV, we have been, uh, as I guess most people have, I mean, we've just been junkies. So I made my way all the way through Breaking Bad. Uh, we just finished, um, Fargo. Uh, so I'm kind of kind of getting caught up on things, and um, uh, what else have we been watching? Oh, we watched Better all. Call Saul. Uh, Better Call Saul. I haven't gotten on to yet. No, but but uh, that may be coming. Um, <laughs> no, in fact, we had we just had a marathon of the Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, Ocean's Thirteen movies, Wonderful. which were a lot of fun. Those were a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I love a good heist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. And also trying to keep up with um, with the amazing online content content that has been produced by uh, so many of the, the companies, yeah. uh, local, both local and national, that have been um, trying to make things work over the pandemic. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of, on on Father's Day, so we're coming up on it uh, just about a week a week and a bit away. Um, the Mordale Youth Orchestra will have their their concert uh, up, up on, I believe, streaming on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. I think so. I will get you that information. But um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the platform's going to be, but probably YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure I'll, I'll make sure that we share it from uh, from the Quintet page as well as Great. Tristan and I will be, uh, you know, willing and able participants uh, yes. with uh, with our recordings from home. But uh, it's always a it's always such a pleasure to to make music. And, you know, it, it's like you're saying, like you said earlier, we see each other twice a year, or, you know, over the last five or six years, and uh, and, and that that speaks to a lot of the colleagues I get to see at these um, uh, at the events as well, you know, when they happen in person, um, and and getting to experience the neighborhood and going out for for a cup of coffee on the break and 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 just getting yeah. to sort of catch up with some colleagues. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be such a great time when that happens in person again. However. Father's Day, you can sit down and, and you can hear the fruits of the labor of of these uh, these wonderful string students. Um, but what I wanted to give you a chance to to sort of talk about is if you had anything else you'd like to promote or or you know give mention to um, before we uh, sign off today. Well, I th- I think just um, I am involved in in a group called Confluence Concerts, 
which has been doing some online, uh, quite a bit of online concertizing uh, recently. And um, I'm sort of the part of the artistic team there. So uh, if anyone wants to to find out more about us, we've got a, a season um, partially planned for next year. It's 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 hard to do planning because one doesn't know whether you know how much of it's going to be online, how much of it can we yeah. uh, can we present in person. But um, uh, other than that, I just really I guess want to strongly thank uh, your listeners and and the music community for all of the support. I mean, we've talked about performers and we've talked about students, but, you know, audience members and donors and um, mm -hmm. uh, supporters, you know, word of mouth supporters have been uh, so essential in this in this time. And so I'm so grateful to everyone who's, you know, maintained their interest and support and and uh, sympathy <laughs> for the <laughs> arts community uh, because it's uh, it it really is such a tentative uh, life in a way as you know and, and you think it's so easy to uh, or it's so difficult to build something up but it's so easy to lose it um, yeah. and and you yeah. do see examples of that around so I really hope that we come back stronger than ever. I hope so too. I know I'll never take it for granted uh, ever again. You know, it it always seemed like such a given that you know yeah. you, you finish one show and and you know you check your email and you go to the next one and yeah and and you just keep the cycle going from September to June or September to May and then and you take a break in the summer and and uh, when it, it didn't take long for that to uh, disappear yeah and uh, and so I, I you know make every phrase count I think is the is the the nice way to sum that up but. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I think it will come through in spades that uh, we're all very eager. Yeah. And uh, if anyone from the province is listening, you know, we'd love some clarity on when we're allowed to get started again. But that's a different story. And that would be a, <laughs> exactly. a much longer podcast. It um, would be. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks. Thanks for coming on the show, Larry. It's um, it's it's absolutely wild that we've known each other for so long. We've been working together for so long. And and I had there were it was just like easter egg after easter egg as i was doing my research so um you know you've got this incredibly diverse career and you've actually inspired me to pick up my horn and go practice so um <laughs> oh that's great um yeah well thank you jay and and i did want to uh interest and and happy anniversary <laughs> and uh and i want to thank both of you for uh for all of the energy that you bring to to moordale as well it's always such a treat for the kids when you know, when the band arrives and, and we all squish into that little coach house That's for right. our one rehearsal, <laughs> but, uh, it's always exciting. It's always exciting. And your, um, you know, the fact that you prioritize it in your busy life, uh, both of you is, um, uh, I'm really grateful for that. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for Hogtown Hangs with Jay and Tristan. If you've enjoyed our show and want to know more, please check out hogtownbrass.com or leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Cheers. Cheers.